Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect uh, and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman. And I'm Scott Daly. Mail's here. <laughs> this is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of reading your questions, answering your questions, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. We're coming to you this week from the past. Ooh. I hope everyone is having a fantastic and fabulous September 25th. Uh, I am currently down in Austin on the second to last day of Fantastic Fest, so we are recording this episode way, way, way early. But I bet I've seen a bunch of good movies, and I'm feeling pretty happy right now, Matt. That's what uh, I, I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna stake that, make that Scott speculation, and I'm Hi. feeling pretty good. Hi, this is Matt from the present. Uh, I've, I'm reading. I've been reading your Twitter account for this last week, and you really have been having a good time at that festival. So, oh, that's that's great to hear. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad the the realm of podcasting allows us to to open up time portals and speak to each other from different moments in time. It's yeah. really it's really well, a, a an underplayed value of podcasting. I well, think. that's all I had to say. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, have a good week. <laughs> Later. Okay. Bye. All right. It's me again. Okay. Uh, as we have indicated this week on the show, we are pressing pause on our discussion of From Within, which which could I mean that arc could be over by the time you're hearing this. I. I don't know, um, but we are going to answer some of your wonderful mailbaggy questions. So thanks to everyone for taking the time to send in some questions. We wanted to give you some content for this week, even though we were going to be out. So we thought we would do this and have some fun. Um, so thanks for participating. We appreciate that. Yeah. But first, a brief reminder, Matt. Brief reminder, fan art contest with the theme of reflections. Uh, the entries are due September 30th at midnight Pacific Standard Time. Check out the official rules in the show notes below. So that's for you people in the future. That's uh, five days from the day you're hearing this on the 25th of September. That's right. Time is fascinating. <laughs> All right. Let's get into these questions, Scott. I haven't even really looked at these. You did me well, the favor of collecting them. so Yeah, that's, I do what I can. That just means your answers are going to be really intelligent. Yeah, well, they're going to be from the heart is what they're going to be. That's true. And that's what you come here for is, it is. is our earnest feelings about things. So first of all, from Kippos, Matt has mentioned before that reading Wild Bill's works made him update his stance on fates worse than death. With this in mind, how has reading Wild Bill's works changed your perspectives slash personal philosophies on life? every way possible that's not quite true um i don't know matt what do you think i mean uh, definitely i i um i called myself a utilitarian for a long time and I, and I tried to live as a as a utilitarian like having utilitarianism be my governing life philosophy like i would try to think through the the decisions that i made on a, on a day-to-day basis in terms of like estimated um magnitude of of harm versus benefit and and um and I, I, like it wasn't all it had some negative consequences, but it had some positive consequences. Like I was actually a vegetarian for a couple of years, um, literally due to like just thinking through the problem and, and being like, you know what, I, I really can't justify this in an, in an ethical 
uh, in an ethical sense. And mm-hmm. I, eventually I stopped that for health reasons. But the, the, the point is like, I was way into that, way, way into that. And while Bo's stories have really just shown me so many different angles on um, different people in different situations, different ways of approaching things. And, and, and then, and then the process of talking about it and analyzing it for the podcast. Also, I've just had to like turn these things over in my head over and over until I just kind of, until you, you like the, the idea of utilitarianism as a personal philosophy just sort of broke for me. And, um, and that's not at all, I don't even try to do that anymore. So that's, that's probably the biggest, like most obvious personal philosophy change that it has uh, done to me. Yeah, I mean, I think I've always prided myself on being an, an empathetic person, um, but I've also never really like and just just in your day to day life, like how often do you actually have to put that to the test? Right. Right. Um, I mean, outside of just oh, this person at work is annoying me. You don't really have to do that. But I think that the reading this book and, and not just reading it, like you said, the, the manner in which we read it forced me to really think, really think for a long time about people and, and what the battles people are having inside themselves and what they're going through. So I won't say it's like a, a really dramatic philosophy shift for me. Um, but I, I do find myself, you know, just when I see people suffering or when I see someone that's annoying me or behaving in a certain way, I go to what is their story before I go to, I don't like this person. Absolutely. Um, yeah. The, the, the idea, like I'll kind of half jokingly talk about people having trigger events in real life. And, and what I really mean is like, something happened to you that changed you in a specific way. And, and that's true of almost everyone in, in a million tiny ways and usually in a handful of bigger ways. Um, so, you know, we don't have one trigger event. We have a whole bunch, but it, sure, I, sure. I find it to be a very useful lens of, of having empathy with people and, and getting to a place of being able to forgive and contextualize their actions. I, I do think it also challenged me a lot on my, I, I don't like calling myself a deontologist, but my, deontological leanings mm-hmm. i think it challenged that like like it challenged your utilitarian i think it challenged me on that a little bit and i think that's kind of the beauty of the story is just this ability to like look maybe your philosophy that you prescribe to is not 100 percent the right way to do things always 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 and maybe you need to live in that shade of gray and maybe you need to be made uncomfortable with what this thing is, is telling you. And, and it, there were times reading this book where I was like, geez, I don't, I don't know if I like what this is saying, but I have to deal with it. I have to face it. I have to recognize the truth in that where it is and, and explore what that means, you know, both within the terms of the story, but what it means personally within me. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Great. Like great it. question. Kippos. I yeah. like that a lot. All right. Next up we have Samuel who asks, do you ever think when you started Worm, it would ever become such a big part of your life? <laughs> Matt? Um, no. I'm, <laughs> uh, I mean, I started it because Daniel incepted me, uh, my yeah. brother. And I, I, I just, I loved it so much. I, I think that I've talked about this before enough times on the podcast. But after I finished reading it, I just kind of had that like post-Worm craving for more worm and and so i went i I like spent time in in the community and posted on the subreddit for for a while and and i I noticed after a long time that i just um i kept hanging around the subreddit and and i'm not really someone who spends a lot of time on reddit like like generally um so i was like 
why am I spent like it's been like a year since I read this story. Why am I still hanging around the subreddit? And I was like, I just I just goddamn love this story. Um, so that was the thing that kind of led to it being you know kind of so salient in my mind that I would want to suggest it as as the topic for a whole a whole podcast show. But um, it, it's interesting because it it took it, it kind of took on life of its own for me, and then. And then that led to us making the decision to make the show. And, and of course, your your engagement with it has been different. Uh, the, the reason I kind of just took over there is because you and I both had utterly incomparably different introductions to the story. Sure, um, sure. And so I felt like it was worth it to just say like, yeah, that's that's how I got into it. And f- for me, it was more like I couldn't get it out of my life. So I decided I might as well intentionally make it part of my life. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I like that a lot. Um, from my side, like... I my answer to this is kind of yes and no it's it's no in the I never ever ever thought that almost three years later we'd still be talking about this world and and talking about it with the number of people we're talking about it with and participating in such in the community in the way that we are but I also like have to have to recognize that like I came to read this book with the idea that we were going to do it uh arc by arc show on it so I knew it was going to be a big part of my life for the nine months or whatever it took to go through it. That being said, I, th- I had no idea what we were doing. Like I, I did like you, you told me how long the story was. We, we even wrote like a tentative. Um, this is how long we think like, this is how many episodes we think this is going to go on for. Right. But, but like, that's like in my head at the time, we had never done a show like this. It was so abstract and non, like I just had no, no concept of how much I was actually signing myself up for time wise with this thing. Um, and of course it just kept like getting bigger and bigger and longer and longer. And that's as a, as a result of the story doing that same thing. But so I, while I knew I was getting into something that was going to take a lot of my life, I I could never have guessed how much just time commitment wise it would. But yeah, I mean, even even beyond that, the, the people we've met, the interactions we've had, the conversations and debates and fights sometimes we've had over over what we think the story is saying and doing. Um, and never in my wildest dreams would I have figured that that would happen. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, one thing that's, I've never said out loud personally is like I, I didn't I didn't know that I or, you know, we liked to talk about things like in, in that level of detail. Yeah. Like, like, like we had, we had the, um, the daily planet podcast before, before that. And that would be like an hour, an hour and a half of discussion about a movie or whatever. And, and those are, those are good. Uh, I, I stand by those. Yeah. But, but like this show revealed like, oh, we, we really do enjoy like, like we'll gladly talk about two chapters for two hours. Yep. <laughs> and that's, and that's great. And, um, and I know that this is a fact that I didn't necessarily know know about myself before I did it, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. I like, mean, we had never yeah. done that before. Not even close. We had never done anything comparable to this at all. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was I, I'm I'm so happy we enjoy doing it. Yeah, <laughs> or right. else or else this would have been a long three years. Yeah. Or yeah, I mean, or or the episodes would have been really short and not sure, as, sure. As, yeah. They yeah. would have been different. Uh, mm-hmm. Samuel has a bonus question. Would you rather have a katana or a broadsword? Katana. Hundred percent. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Obviously, um, Manukos asks or says, "I have heard Scott talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer countless times, comparing yes. it to properties I really love. Yes. That makes me interested to check it out. But yes. everyone online says that the first season is terrible. Do you disagree? Think it holds up? Why? Do you have a watching guide to recommend?" Okay. Um, 
Yeah, the first season's not good. And I like the first season, um, but I like the first season because I like the characters and I like seeing where the characters started out and seeing how they transform through that first season and how the show transforms to the good show. The wonderful, great, one of my favorite shows of all time it is. Um, But I fully copped to the fact that the first season is clunky. And it's just because a lot of it is just TV shows finding their groove, finding, you know, the correct level uh, of tone of how much camp do you want? How much how much serious drama do you want? And the first 11 episodes were really just trying to figure that out. It was also a midseason replacement. So it was like put together pretty quickly. Um, it was very, very low budget. So the effect stuff, which is always kind of a challenge in uh, the early seasons, was in the first season really, really bad. Um, and it just, it's just some clunky writing. But the the soul of the show, I think, is there. Um, and I think there are episodes in the first season worth watching. Um, the, the, that question about do you have a watching guide? I talked about it on the podcast uh, this last week, actually. Uh, there's a, a YouTube channel called Passion of the Nerd. And basically he's doing a episode by episode deep dive exploration and video essay on every single one of the episodes. He also does what is like he also does a video called like titled like why you should watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, and he basically points out that there are four episodes in the first season you absolutely 100% need to watch and you can skip the rest of them if you really need to do it. I would never suggest skipping episodes just because I'm like a purist that way. But if 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 you really just can't stand them in the first season and but you think you will end up liking the show later and and you will trust me um, there these Passion of the Nerd has the four episodes you need to see, and you can watch the video summaries of the other ones if you don't want to, or you can just not. Um, it's a serialized television show, but in the way of old TV, so it is not like every episode advances the plot. Um, some episodes can be easily tossed away without really losing anything. So I love it. I love the show. It's so good. It's such a great, wonderful example of all the things I love about storytelling. The writing is very sharp. The characters are drawn beautifully. Um, the way it, the way that plots weave around this this central theme of high school is hell uh, i could talk about the show forever i won't i won't though because there's one more question for matt <laughs> no I'm, I'm sorry i zoned out because you're talking about buffy um, <laughs> damn it uh, I, uh the second question was matt have you seen it and what do you make of scott's insistence to bring it up at every opportunity well, no i haven't seen it what i make of his insistence to bring it up is that it's probably really good and i'd probably really like it and i just hadn't gotten around to it and yeah um it's hard for me to make time to watch things unless uh, someone writes it on a calendar for me, which I guess is why Scott started <laughs> to do that for me. Um, you know, what, what Scott may or may not realize is that if he just put on a calendar like, um, yeah, we're uh, we're doing a, a podcast about season one of Buffy on this day, then I would just be like, oh, OK, I guess I'll have to watch it. Fuck. What have you done? Uh, you know, know. that's going to happen. Now. I, I uh, Yeah, I mean. I do I mean, agree that this is this is a time commitment show, right? Because this is back in the time of 22 episode seasons, um, hour long episodes. That's a lot. That's a lot. To and it's through. seven seasons. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, that's 144 episodes. I'm, I'm, I googled it while you were talking, actually. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that's a lot of episodes. So it is, it it is something that needs to be watched over a period of time. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I don't like I don't mean to bring it up constantly. I just think when I look back at at, you know, the thing that formed me into the person that I am that loves storytelling and loves what stories can do. It is, it is watching and experiencing the show that does it. So whenever I'm really passionate and I really enjoy something, my brain just makes that mental connection. Like it just does it for me because it's like, Oh, this reminds me of a thing that I really loved. And this thing that was like, that was 
like paramount to why I am the person I am now. Um, and so I think that just kind of happens. I mean, Matt did it with worm like all right. the damn time before yeah. we watched worm. Yeah. I was just going to say, no, I, I never bring things up over and over <laughs> in, in, in different contexts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Alrighty. Next question. Coinage says I've been catching up and it's been, and it's hard to believe y'all have passed a hundred episodes now I know. just for kicks. I went back and re-listened to the first episode and boy, was it different <laughs> knowing, knowing what you know now of worm and ward and applying a similar focus or approach to worm as you do to ward. Is there anything you would target or change if you were to do a hypothetical reread? I think I would change how we divided up the sections. So I think, I think we've talked about this before. I don't remember. We talk about things so many times I forget where we said them, but (laughs) I think worm was probably too much content per episode. I think ward as much as I love doing it might be too little. So I think there's a sweet spot in the middle of those. So if I were going to do a reread, um, and, 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 and do something show wise on a reread, I would probably want my chunks to be a little bit smaller. Um, not worm sized, but maybe like halfway in between. Um, but I, I mean, one of the other things I would want to do on a reread, one of the things I've been fascinated about and, and one of the most contentious subjects is my interpretation of Taylor as it compares to a large number of the community's interpretation of Taylor. And what I would want to do on a reread is I would want to go into that reread consciously with like, OK, let's try to see Taylor the way other people see Taylor and let's see what the books, how the book speaks to me when I approach it with that specific goal in mind. I think that would be a very interesting project. Yeah. I don't know what would come out of it. I don't know if it would change my opinion. It might, um, but I think that would be interesting to do. Yeah, that that's that sounds interesting, actually. I, I'm having, I, I just can't answer this question because <laughs> I, I think, honestly, there is no such thing as an optimal level of resolution, you know, an optimal level of granularity. Like, sure. th- there are people who do read-throughs on their blogs or what have you, on Tumblr or whatever, where they are literally going line by line. They're, they're, they're copying out a line of text sure. and then they're giving their reaction to it. And, and that's some people's thing totally. And then yeah. there's hypothetical, you know, there's hypothetical podcast where you read a whole arc and then you talk about it for half an hour and you, you know, you, you, you touch on like three of the things that happened like, Oh yeah, man, wasn't it cool when Echidna got cut in half by the spider silk? Yeah. That was badass, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, that was a good episode. You know, so, so like, sure, sure. but like, but like, I don't think there's an optimum between those two extremes. I think that different people have different tastes as listeners and we have a certain proclivity as talkers. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're pretty close to where our own like, like dynamic uh, has formed a, a set point of like, this is how much we want to talk about a given amount of text, you know? Yeah, I, I think I think a little bit having a little bit more of it allows you to see the curve yeah. of the arc a little bit more that when you dive so deep into the weeds, you like lose sight of those specific curves of the, the overall arc of the story. Certainly. Um, and, and I think if I had more time, like I've had an infinite number of time, I would just reread every chapter in the arc in, in a specific arc before I do each episode. And so I would be able to remember all those beats. But sometimes like you go back to arc one of even this this arc we're on currently 
it was it was like a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long time ago. So it's like I haven't gone back and read those chapters in the detail we did the first time. Um, and I don't have time. Like I don't I would I would love to maybe even just like go back and listen to all our old episodes, each arc to refresh myself of what we talked about. Um, but I don't have time to do that either. <laughs> so it's just like yeah. um, maybe just little bit little bit bigger chunks would allow us to see that curve a little bit more that we wouldn't have to go back and do that I don't yeah know. i think the way we do the book club proves that you're right about that because you know when we're reading a book for book club it's all in one month we talk about the whole book yeah and we can we can say so much more about what we think the themes are what we think the author is saying with a lot more certainty and a lot more thoroughness and completeness because we have the whole yeah. book in front of us especially when it's not part of a series um and it's just that's the book yeah so. i mean with worm, we cut it off at 60,000 words, right? If mm-hmm. the arc was longer than 60,000 words, we divided it into two episodes with ward, depending on how long the chapters are, they're anywhere from like eight to 10,000 words each, right? Usually. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're at, we're at under 20,000. Um, I, when I'm thinking of like the dark tower podcast that we're doing uh, right now, we're very close to hitting that goal. So I'm like doing preliminary work to divide up the books into sections. Um, I'm looking at around, 40,000 words and seeing, you know, which parts in the story make sense to, to divide it around that number. And we're just going to kind of see, like, I think the thing is with anything we do, it's really just, let's give it a shot and see how it goes. And if it's working great, if not, we'll, we'll adjust it a little bit. I think, I think we've got Ward is a show of that where we've kind of made Mike, we haven't really changed up like the entire like format but we have made micro adjustments along the way when we saw things were or were not working yep true we yeah we've, we've made some pretty big changes didn't we yeah yeah all right next up we have ty who asks what's the deal with superman i don't know if he wanted to do that in a jerry seinfeld voice but because jerry seinfeld loves superman i thought that was perfect uh why do you like him so much he's always fallen flat for me because he has the luxury of being powerful enough to live up to his own moral code which makes him the opposite of interesting or or inspiring as an example if you replace victoria with superman in the teacher raid when they get to the bit where victoria kills the leper soups could just freeze him fly him really fast to a secure location and then come back and continue the raid but that's not a moral victory that's a thank god i won the power lottery and don't have to compromise my principles victory so what am i missing here what makes superman interesting to you this is kind of a me question um, yeah i don't think i don't think you like superman as much uh, as i do not as much as you do no yeah i mean so here's the thing like i, I we've I, we've kind of touched on this before um and but I, I i love to talk about superman i completely agree with you that in the situation you just outlined superman's presence in that scene over victoria's would not make for as compelling of a story but i think the thing about superman and the reason why people have such a hard time writing him is because you can't do the same kind of stuff. It has to be different kind of fights. It has to be different kind of conflict. Um, the thing I love about Superman is that he is the most powerful being on the planet. He could do anything he wants. He, he doesn't have to be beholden to anything he could do or be or get anything he wants to get at any time. And yet he chooses to be a good person. He chooses to, to spend his life helping people. He chooses to not grasp that power. And to me, that is the inspiring part about it. A being that is so strong that they don't have to be beholden to any of any of anything in our world, any of the rules, laws, requirements, social understandings, general morality. They don't have to abide by any of those things. 
And yet he does. And a person that powerful who remains that essentially human um, is something that's incredible to me. And I think I said I said this. I'm just going to repeat myself. But um, the thing about Superman is is he does the things we cannot, which inspire us to do the things we can. Like his ability to be this all powerful person that makes those choices, I think, inspires me and inspires other people to make the choices in our lives that uh that we can to do to do the right thing in our situations because he is a person who doesn't have to do any of that and yet chooses to do it anyway cool and i think that's really hard to write in a story where people are punching each other i do i think it's really tough yeah um so i i i i just I just I'm not even sure what the right way to write Superman is. I think all star Superman, the comic is my standby go to because that is a comic where Superman finds out he is dying and just spends the entirety of the comic, like trying to do his best to put the world in a in as good enough of a place um, after he leaves it, where he's like, at least he can rest knowing the world is going to be OK. And it really mostly focuses on him trying to repair relationships and help people and give people the tools they need to 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 protect themselves after he's gone. And I don't know. I just love that idea. I just love that central story. And I've always been like the Boy Scouty type of comic book character. I love Captain America. I think he's great. I love Superman. I love the the goody two shoes type characters that are just going to just going to be the ones that do the right thing. The sticks in the mud. You know, I like those characters. Yeah, that's cool. I, I'm i reminded of the I think someone made this comment in like a, a, a we've got worm Reddit thread or something where they pointed out that Scion is the example of what happens to Superman when he doesn't have his humanity when he doesn't have that Clark Kent side. And and so like it really emphasized to me, like it made something click for me about Superman. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not as crazy about Superman as Scott is, but um, I, I, that comment kind of crystallized the appeal of Superman as like, yeah, he, he is, he is the, this ultimate being, but he has this kernel of humanity and that's actually yeah. what, what allows you to connect to him. And that's, I think that's like like you were saying. That's where the good Superman stories come from. I think yeah. I think all the punching Superman stories are the worst ones, definitely. Yeah, it's like you know in Kill Bill two where um, uh, Bill has this whole speech about Superman and how Clark Kent is actually his alternate identity. Yeah, um, I think that's bullshit. I think he, like I I think Clark Kent is who he is. Yeah. He is fundamentally Clark Kent, and that is what makes him Superman. Um, that is the most important thing, and I think that's what the great Superman stories really explore. That his central Clark Kentness is what makes him who he is, um, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Next question from Julio. Your various podcasts have been a source of enjoyment and structure for me during this time, like reading comics and reading Ward. The dependability of podcast episodes have been really helpful in maintaining my sanity and keeping track of my goals. You can't know how thankful I am to you for all this. Now for the question. Yeah, that was just that wasn't the question, but I want to leave that in because thank you, Julio. That was yeah. so nice. Yeah, we really appreciate that. Um, I checked your Patreon. Uh, sorry, I can't contribute. I'm saving every penny to go to to go to study in the in the U.S. next year. Congratulations. That's um, awesome. And saw one of your goals is a fiction podcast written by Matt. That's so exciting. Anything you can tell us about its content, length? Are you hiring actors? Will you pay Wildbo to guest write an episode? <laughs> <laughs> we would love to, Wildbo. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we we can't talk too much about it, Matt. Um, it is an audio podcast narrative yeah, thing, right? It's not just written by me. It was written yeah, yeah, by true. Um, me, Scott, and Michael. 
Yeah, I think I need to change that because when I wrote that in the Patreon thing, nobody on, on the Patreon knew who Michael was, so it That's wouldn't true. make sense to put his name on there. So I just had your name, uh, but I need to add that. Yeah, primarily written by Matt and Michael. I contributed a little bit, but it's 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 that's, their baby for sure. That's such horseshit, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you 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 developed the concept. We, we we developed the concept, but I think that you wrote just as much of the actual. So I, I think we can say like we have actual. Uh, scripts written for it it's yeah. uh there's a lot a lot of logistics and um just planning and decisions to be made before yeah. it, before it gets produced and and this is not something that we have any experience with so, yeah this is all new for us yeah so going um, from a script to an actual produced podcast big big uh hurdle for us actually yeah i mean just going from a rough draft of a script to a final ready to be produced draft of a script is a pretty big hurdle for us but all the rest of it yeah the length i think i think we're at like 10 episodes i mean that's something that's going to change so much as we finalize Uh the script and see what the actual length of each episode is going to fall out to be but uh our plan is to hire actors um to hire people i mean that's that's kind of why we put the goal at where it's at which is like our highest level goal because we knew that this thing is going to cost a lot of money to do um just to produce it is going to be very expensive um and so we wanted to make sure that when we got to the point where we were saying and committing to doing it. We wanted to make sure we had enough money to be able to actually do it and do it well. Um, so yeah, we're, we're definitely going to do all that stuff. And, and as we get closer to it and as like we continue to work on refine it, we'll kind of start talking about it more, um, publicly, but it's cool. I like, it's a fun concept. It's a fun idea. Uh, lots of fun characters. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be good. Um, but we, we're we're not close to releasing that. It's fun to talk about, but we avoid talking about it because it's then like people start asking about it and it's like we're not even close to being at the point of of being able to answer concrete questions about this thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. But but thanks for the interest though. Yeah, that's cool. Um we haven't really talked about that much. We just kind of threw that up there and we're just really quiet about it cuz first of all, when we threw that goal up there, I was like we're never going <laughs> to we're never gonna get there yeah and it's like oh god we're, we're so close to getting there i know i know it's crazy uh julio has another question uh, they say in a related subject what are your long-term plans for doof media more podcasts other stuff and they say i've listened to enough vow to view to get that scott uh, wants to eventually leave his day job i'm not sure what matt does for a living is it a secret <laughs> what, what is your vision for the company in five years wow the um, Netflix of podcasts, the, net, the, the Amazon prime of podcasts, <laughs> um, the Twitter of podcasts. I don't even know. No. We, we do not have like a set, like formalized long-term business plan type of thing. Um, we want to keep growing. We want to keep trying out new stuff. I think one of the big things of one of the big goals for 2019 for us, I think was to bring other people into this organization and bring other shows into it. And I think we've succeeded at that goal. We have our guys from deep impact. We have the guys from do the right thing. We'd like to continue to do that. One of our other big goals is networking. We want to start getting to know the podcasting community. There's a lot of people that do these kind of story analysis shows. We want to get to know those people and we want to become friends with those people and talk with those people and have them as guest stars on our stuff. Um, so that's one of our big goals. I would love, I would, I would love, love, love for this to be my full-time job. I would love it. Um, we are a long, 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 long way away from that. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, well, well, well before we ever even had um, the idea of doing a podcast together, I've wanted to be like an independent entrepreneur yeah, and be my own boss, et cetera. And, and, and I'm an engineer. Um, that, that is my job. Um, so that is fairly different from <laughs> literary, literary analysis slash media personality, whatever. Um, sure, sure. Um, content creator, content whatever. creator, whatever. Yeah. Um, but, um, I would, I would also love to do this for a living, but like Scott said, it's such a, it's, it's so far from where we are now that it's just kind of a fun thing to think about really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have, I am not, I have not taken any steps or made any plans towards that in any kind of real way other than pipe dream. But I mean, for, for, for the, the short term achievable goals, um, we want to keep growing. We want to keep exploring. We want to find some other shows out there that, that maybe match with us and bring them in and help them kind of help us while helping them. Did that sentence make sense? Yeah, sure. 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 Um, we want to be able to do more shows, but not just podcasts. Um, we've been looking into video stuff and I know the, some of the media MD guys have some video ideas of stuff they want to explore. So we just kind of want to keep true to what has always been true for us, which is keep making the stuff we really like making and not being afraid to chase an interesting idea, um, that we have. Yep. And that's kind of been the, the secret to our success, I guess. Um, that and it's allowed us to always make things that we like and and it turns out other people like as well so i mean it's not like maybe we should like sit down matt and have like an actual like five-year plan ironed out i don't know i don't know i don't even know what that would look like at this point but right um, yeah my five-year plan is for us both to be working full-time for doof media there we go there there we go now now we just have to fill in the five years and yeah let's just increase our download number by eight thousand (laughs) percent and maybe we'll we'll be there yeah okay sounds good (laughs) you know what we need i mean here's my five-year plan is hope that worm breaks mainstream (laughs) (laughs) yes i think we're all i think we all want that to happen i think sort of and we're all sort of terrified of that happening also i i am very terrified of that happening yeah but yeah um okay all right Sarah Penguin asks if you could have one extremely minor one-off character from Worm team up with one minor one-off character from Ward, who would it be and why? Matt, you got anything here? Minor slash one-off. I mean, I want to say like Circus and um um um, um, um what's her name? I don't know. <laughs> You're gonna have to be a little more specific. Um, I'm trying to pick somebody from Ward. Everyone seems so important in Ward. Because, yeah, is there, is there such a thing as a one-off character in Ward? Uh, 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 shortcut, Circus, and Shortcut. Really? As like Why? A, well, but it's a buddy. It's a buddy cop. I see. And they they have they butt heads, and that's the premise. I gotcha. Okay, there you go. I gotcha. I'm gonna do uh, Moose and Wanton. Okay. Cause I like wonton. I like it. I put, I put our buddy wonton on uh, March madness and like, everyone was like, what the fuck is he doing here? <laughs> and I was like, it's because I love him. He's tornado man. Poor tornado man. <laughs> I know. All right. Next question. Anti Chris asks as a crowdfunded series discussing a crowdfunded work. Do you ever feel pressure to not go against the fandom or worried that other crowdfunded creators do? Pressure to hold back a bit on this fa- on this fan favorite character. Pressure to not mention how that popular ship squicks you out. 
People can be petty little bitches about that stuff, <laughs> and no one would like the idea of losing Patreon supporters. Um, I feel like we are we kind of call it as we see it. Yeah. Um, my short answer is no. My long answer is I'd be lying if I said those thoughts don't cross my mind every once in a while. I, I think the kind of thing that tends to cross our mind is just be like more thoughtful about like, is this going to be take is this thing that I want to say going to be taken in the way that I intend it, or are the odds very high that it's going to be taken not in the way I intend it, and then I'll have to spend three hours defending what I actually meant. Yes. And and if that's the case, should I work on on honing my point so that I can say it more clearly or or maybe just not say it because maybe it's not worth saying if it if, if like it's definitely gonna get misunderstood, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's that's the only place where maybe I would I would say like it the, the fact that I know people are listening is, is affecting my um content. Yeah. And 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 honestly, I try very hard and I and I am not perfect, but I try very hard to kind of stay out of all conversations about chapters until after I've uh recorded the episode and formed my own opinion just so there's no chance like if I like so so I'm not even aware of like oh, the 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 community really really loves this person um and I'm about to shit all over them or something so I like so that I I kind of take away the even the temptation there for me yeah. um I I think Obviously, you know, we don't want to I mean, obviously, we don't want to lose supporters like we don't want to lose patrons, obviously. But we also don't want to just be people that just tell people what they want to hear just so we can get people to give us money. Like, I don't think that's I don't think that's what people want when they support us. I don't think that's what we want. I don't think that's what anyone wants out of this work. So I do think I agree with you that generally when we're saying stuff, we're saying what we think. And and maybe like it, it does cause me like if I don't agree with or don't care about a particular ship as you mentioned here i just won't mention it and that's like it, it's it's mostly just because i i just not i'm indifferent enough to where i don't want to like make people feel like i'm challenging them on their interpretations of stuff unnecessarily when i don't even really care it's just like oh that's cool i don't see that but yeah go for it like there's no there's no reason to bring that up yeah you know, earlier in this podcast, earlier in this this very episode, I said that I used to spend a lot of time on the Parahuman subreddit. It was like my go-to internet hangout for, yeah. for a long period of time. Nowadays, I spend many hours a week reading, writing, and recording for the show. Um, I'm I'm kind of tapped out of Parahuman's content, <laughs> and, and and I don't really I don't really spend that much time keeping up with kind of what the fandom feels about stuff. I, I'm not saying I never go visit the live, you know, the, uh, the latest chapter threads I, I, I do. Um, but not, certainly not every week. And, and so I'm, I'm just not like Scott said, I'm, I'm maybe not as cognizant as I could be of even what, what the fan feels about, uh, about this, what the fans feel about this. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I just kind of see myself as one of the fans. I'm just like, this is just my take. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are moments where we're like, yeah, this is probably going to piss some people off, <laughs> I'm about to say here. But there are also moments when, like, we record an episode, release it, and like, oh, shit, we pissed a lot of people. I didn't think I was going to piss a lot of people yeah. off with that. I didn't. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think one thing I've also stopped doing as much generally is, like, Def and I, and I still slip up with this every once in a while, but just like if someone posts something where they disagree with me very early in the show, I used to always kind of like jump in and defend my opinion. And now I just kind of listen to what they have to say. And I'm just like, 
okay. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't feel the need to engage you in a response and have a back and forth fight about this. Like, I, I see what you mean. I like it. Um, I, I maybe don't agree for some reason, but I don't feel the need to, like, r- ridiculously defend myself. I think that's most of the fights we got in in Worm was not necessarily because of what we said on the show, but the lengths that with I went at the lengths of which I went to defend myself after the show when I felt like someone wasn't understanding me correctly or was or was doing something else. And I just don't think that's necessary. Just like I just try to listen more and fight less. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're talking about free will or personhood. All right. Next, we have a question from Julie who asks, as we seem to be drawing closer to the conclusion of Ward, what's something that looking back surprised you the most about the way the sequel has turned out? Matt, what did it surprise you the most? Well, for some reason, I had this perception that Ward was going to start like a hundred years after Worm, and it was going to like be the world has has collapsed, and we're living in like a feudal age of um of like almost a fantasy setting, except with parahuman powers. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I got this from. It might have just been like speculation that lodged in my brain as being credible. Um, and so, and so, and so the fact that it was modern day and not only modern day, but that it was a character that we knew. And then that that character was Victoria Dallin. Uh, all of these are probably the biggest surprises to me. I mean, beyond that, like every detail about it is obviously not something I expected. Um, sure. sure. I I think part of my bias was also because I had, I just finished Twig obviously because Wildo had just finished writing Twig and, and I was kind of in this headspace of, of old timey stuff. Um, so yeah, that was, that's, that's where my head was at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like without knowing the subject, the thing that I'm most surprised about is the complexity of it. And I don't mean, obviously worm is a very complex story and and with a lot of complicated characters and, and complex themes. But I also think like worm is a very traditionally structured type story outside the serialized structure, just like the rise and fall of action. And like, it's very kind of controlled and structured and it's, (laughs) structuring um i think ward is a much different kind of book um and and having only read worm before and having not read pact or twig i really hadn't seen wildbow's evolution as an author and i really think he's pushing envelopes and 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 trying things in this story that i didn't see in worm um and and that's i guess it's surprising it's not surprising that he's advanced himself as a writer but it's surprising to see it a little different as far as like once i understood the scope of the story what was the most surprising thing about the way the sequel has turned out uh i was convinced this was going to be a uh victoria um gets to a point of forgiveness with amy story like from the beginning like we i remember we talking right at at the beginning of the story about like what the eventual amy meeting is going to look like and how it's going to go and i was very like primed by worm into this is a story with another unreliable narrator and look at all the ways in which they are so unreliable and we and they're they're being unfair and that is not really what the story is it is not as interested in exploring that particular aspect of victoria and that's just very surprising was very surprising to me at the time um coming off of the book that worm was i think it's cool because like you can see look, he's doing different things. Like he's exploring different ideas. It's not just, not just the the themes of the story that are different, but it's like how he's getting to those themes is different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the, the way that he is approaching the whole, the whole story in almost every, every way is different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a good book. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) Good good question though. Um, I, 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 I rarely think back about what I had thought about this before it started. 
Killer Kino asks, uh, Ward places greater emphasis on trauma, loss, grief, etc. Who do you think is the most tragic character in Ward? This is a tough one for me because to me, the most tragic character is a one who has no hope, right? And and I think as much as I think a lot of our our main cast is incredibly tragic. I think Kenzie's story is one of the most tragic stories in the entire book. I think I still have hope for Kenzie going into the future. So it, it feels wrong for me to label her as most tragic if if there's still the hope that one day she could be at a, in a better place. Right. Um, it, it depends on if you're using kind of the classical definition of tragic or just like does it make you sad? Right. Like the story, the story version. Yeah. I mean, if we're going by if we're going by just like the does it make you sad definition, Kenzie for sure. I, her story breaks my heart. Um, but like the tragedy in, in the, in the story sense, I don't know. I, yeah. um, I, I, I would like at a breakthrough, I would, I was going to say Chris without hesitation. Um, because ooh, that's a good answer. Cause he's got the classic tragic flaw in, in that he, he, it, it's in his makeup to be the way he is. And, and part of him fights against it, but, the part of the part of him that fights against his, you know, destructive nature is not stronger than the part that causes it, um, and it leads to his self destruction. And where he is right now is a place of self destruction. He could still re- be redeemed, of course, but right now, yeah. right now in the story, I, I think that he fits the the bill. You know, I've just mentally like removed him from breakthrough in my head that when I was running through the characters, I didn't even think of Chris. Yeah, I mean, which speak, is crazy. Like it's interesting to think like if if Tristan had like. If if you consider Tristan's um, arc in, just in just in the Tristan Byron interludes as being an isolated thing, and you don't know that he that he redeems himself later, that would be a very tragic arc, right? It's like a, it's a tragic hero. It's it's the hero who um, who damns himself through his own choices, type thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good answer. I like that. Also, I guess we have to say literally every single heartbroken because Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but even then, like even seeing Candy say like that speech she gave to Daphne. Um, that's not the right name. <laughs> to Darlene. Yeah. Um, why did I say Daphne? Where did that come from? Uh, it came from our other project. Came from Frasier. Oh, yeah, it did come from our other project. Um the the speech she gives Darlene about how like we 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 beat him we won uh, that I mean as tragic as their story is like that is hopeful and inspiring and I I loved that so it feels weird to say yes Candy Darlene most tragic you know you know what I mean yeah 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 right uh, no goodbye says Wildbo seems to like putting in indescribable things in a story and somehow manages to describe them to readers are there instances of these types of of moments that you find to be your favorites or can you name an example of another author's work that managed to do the same or similar thing in an effective way the first thing that i think of when it comes to this matt is um the the scion interlude like when we first see the shards like interacting with each other and how they're described um i thought was incredible that's exactly what i was thinking of that's that's funny (laughs) yeah like like their existence on their shard planet and all this this stuff where yeah I think that's uh that's totally where where my head went to yeah and I think he's doing a pretty good job of it in this current arc of the story as well yeah I think um, so it's kind of flexing the same muscles I mean I think the key to this is kind of giving your reader something to attach onto as as crazy and out there you get 
you need some something to root yourself into that you understand. And you can't always do that with like words and phrases that people speak. So you have to get creative with it. And I think Wild Bo generally does a good job. Of yeah, that. I think that generally when something is hard to, to describe visually, he doesn't try to describe it by painting a picture in your head with descriptive visual words he describes it on on other levels where yeah, yeah. you understand what it is and then that allows you to generate your own mental image which maybe is completely radically different from everyone else's mental image but as long as you understand how it works the same way everyone else does uh you know you'll get in trouble that way right yeah i, I agree with that cool hero of old iron says you guys just had an episode on the Doofcast about the movie that shall not be named, where you pointed out a ton of stuff that didn't work. But there's rarely enough time or even much to say about what doesn't work in Ward. So here we go. What's the worst God, what's the worst <laughs> thing about Ward and what don't you like? I almost I, I was going back and forth on whether I wanted to include this or not, because our whole let's not be negative thing. Um I think I think I can give an answer to this question that is not overly negative. Okay. Um I think Ward is a rough draft. Because yeah. it is yeah. like, I think I think the biggest issues the book has is that like sometimes the pacing is a little wonky. Sometimes the structure is a little wonky. Um, things are introduced and dropped and dropped for probably too long. Um, I, I, th I think the the concept of Chris's secret, the time between um, when Chris disappeared from the story and when that secret was revealed to us was a little wonky to me, but these are not like, these are not like fundamental flaws in the story itself. They're just like things that on a second pass, someone would tighten up a little bit. Like this is very much a story that's being written that we're reading as it is being written. And therefore, um, there are bumps in that road and those bumps will need to be smoothed out a little bit as the story goes through the motions. Um, I think the fact that it is as good as it is considering this is continues to be remarkable to me. Um, but I'd be lying if I said those aren't there at times that there's times when I'm like, eh. <laughs> we don't talk about those things generally because I don't want to, I don't want to be that kind of show, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that is, that is a problem that, that the story has at times for sure. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like it, it's weird, kind of a strange, it, this is going to come out like a compliment, I guess, but like <laughs> so many of the it's chapters cheating. just like blow me away that when there's a chapter where I'm just like, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, it, it feels like a letdown relative to the other ones, but that's completely unfair because it's still in it. It's still, it's still well-written. It still hits all the, you know, it, it still is serving a function in the story. Like the, the earlier chapters in arcs tend to be, Table setting, like that's a, sure. that's a term we use a lot, completely necessary, right? You cannot have every single chapter be, uh, you know, the one where Cradle gets crushed by a, a shelf or something. Like, like it, it, the story does not work that way. But definitely, some like there's some chapters where I'm like way more into things than others. And yeah. and I don't I don't know whether to say that's a criticism or what. Like that's just a fact about the story. Like I, I don't. I don't know, I, you know, and I, I don't, I'm not saying I disagree with you about the pacing because I haven't really formulated an opinion about it, but I will say that I suspect that when we go back and this is done and we binge through it and we just reread it straight through, um, the, the story will feel completely different. And I'm not necessarily saying then all the pacing problems will go away, but I do think that um, 
stuff like that, stuff like, oh, it's been a long time since we touched on this, that goes away when you're reading it not one chapter every four days, you know? Sure, sure. Um, but that's, um, I didn't mean to contradict you. I'm just saying like, it's, no, no, it's, I, I think you're absolutely right. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you that I don't know if that on its own is going to solve some of the, the critique I have, uh-huh. but I do agree that it is a different experience reading it a book this way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I wonder, I mean, one of the things I've, I, I secretly wanted to answer for myself and, and one of the reasons I wanted to do, Hey, let's cover Ward as it's being written is answer the question of, do I like reading stories this way? Is this, is this my ideal way of, of consuming a story? And I don't know if I've gotten to that answer yet. I think, I think I want to wait until the story's done until I really conclude on that answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, I actually have my suspicion that that I like reading things straight through, um, mm-hmm. but I definitely enjoy having something to look forward to every every few days. You know, I, yeah, I, I like yeah. I like keeping up with a web serial. Um, so both sure. things. <laughs> All right. All right. Farm Fresh Hornets asks: Was there any topic or moment either of you put a pin in that you really did want to get into but never got a good opportunity to revisit? If so, what was it? Um, um, see, the problem with this is the reason we don't ever pull that pin out is because we forget it was there. So it's hard to answer this question because we've forgotten those pins. I feel like we talk about everything eventually. Like, yeah, I mean, maybe sometimes it'll be like three weeks later and I'll be like, oh, yeah, you know what? This reminds me of that thing that Tattletale did eight chapters ago. Yeah. And and, and then I get a chance to talk about it. Right. Because like, okay, like like all, all of you we all read the story the same, right? And as you're reading, something might stick out to you and you'll think, oh, that's interesting. I wonder where we're going to go with that. And then you keep reading and that completely passes out of your brain, possibly until until it pays off. And then you think, oh yeah, that was that was in there. I remember that now. Right, right. Like that's just the way, that's the way our memories are kind of keyed up. And sometimes I'm lucky enough that like as I'm taking my notes, I will pull out the thing that caught my attention and then we'll talk about it. Sometimes I won't, though. Sometimes my first read through, I just read it. I just read it like everybody else. Sure, I don't, I don't sure. take notes. And it's and, and so sometimes I do kind of like have a feeling about something and then I don't ever talk about it. But that's not that, that's usually just because my brain didn't like archive it properly. And um, and then and then it comes up later in the proper context. And that's fine, too. And then I can talk yeah. about it then. So, yeah. You want to know something I privately put a pin in that I didn't say that on the show, but I wish we had talked about it <laughs> what? Uh, was talking about rain in the last couple chapters. Uh-huh. And I'm kind of upset that we didn't really focus on him at all because I thought he was a real badass. And we didn't talk at all about the moment where he like screams, screams. Cradle's yeah. name. Um, I wish we had talked about that because I yeah. think that's was amazing. Like he's on the ground, like been crushed by a rock and still is just like screaming at Cradle yeah. and he distracts him right. just long enough for for them to get him so I think, yeah somebody in the man i need to be, get better at this somebody either in the discord or, or the subreddit pointed out that the members of the um of the mall cluster plus colt of course were were really all instrumental in bringing down cradle it, it was sveta yeah. who kind of pushed the shelf on him but they all had a hand in it directly in, including rain so yep yep yeah. totally agree cool uh, Rid Tom says Wildbo loves his parallels, as you mentioned with Rex and Vic, and I think the shards are the ultimate expression of this. Waste is an extreme version or even caricature of Victoria. 
puts people on a pedestal, Victoria, while putting itself down, calling itself worthless, wanting to communicate with others to prevent death, wishing to improve itself constantly, and the desire for a permanent title. Cradles and March's shards all share their traits and mannerisms as well. My question is, how much stock would you place in these shards going after like-minded hosts versus the shards gaining influence from the hosts themselves? And what about the weird cases like K-70s? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like a chicken or egg situation, right? Like it's oh, how much of again. the shard, huh? <laughs> yeah, sorry. How much of the shard, it, the shard's personality is pulled from its host versus the reason they were connecting to the host in the first place was because they saw a kindred spirit there it seems um, like uh grasping self was kind of a creep before it found cradle i i think maybe the answer is something like some of them are just stronger personalities than, than others um, yeah like, like we've always heard like we hear about grasping self trying to push push him around you know push cradle around we, we hear about amy's shard like hating her and that's the reason why she has such a well okay there's lots of reasons why she has, <laughs> she makes so many mistakes but like yeah. victoria's shard is this like composite of several shards which is already a unique thing and so it's probably intrinsically yeah. weak and thus impressionable yeah i mean i i definitely I, there's there's definitely textual support that the host is having an effect on the shard right like that that definitely is in the story as something that is occurring um but yeah i mean to their question it's how much is one versus the other i don't um, know yeah I, I I like I like my answer that that the the weaker the shard, the more influence the 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 human will have. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Cool. All right, uh, where were we? Nugget uh, blaster. Good old nugget blaster. From a civilian perspective, parahumans have been extremely devastating to the entire way of human life. Endbringer attacks, the Slaughterhouse Nine, Gold Morning, and now the abandonment of the city in anticipation of another parahuman caused catastrophe. So, with the continuing devastation caused by the powers and shards influencing parahumans towards conflict, is there a way for regular humans to ever coexist peacefully, have an equal footing with parahumans? Or would humans be better off starting their own society where they're not at the mercy of good or bad capes? Matt? Um, uh, coexist peacefully, yes. Have an equal footing, no. Because... Mm -hmm. Because by definition, if they have magic powers, you can't really be equal with them. Unless they find some way of like doing a shard shenanigans to the extent where they can share powers around freely. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I always think about, um, it's, it's a weird it's a weird pull, but the, the Wheel of Time actually, because I guess this is, I, I don't know how much Wheel of Time I want to spoil. Sh I'm shocked you're pulling from Wheel of Time. Yeah, well, I, I don't usually, do I? You've never, you've never done this before. I mean, I can't tell how stochastic you're being. I, I don't talk about it that often, do I? <laughs> you don't talk about it that but, often. <laughs> but you definitely have talked about okay, it. Okay, that's true. But like, there, there's, at one point in the story, there's this like vision of the past. And in the past, it was shown that like the the people with magic and the people without magic just like lived in perfect harmony and 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 it provides this interesting vision of like, yeah, like there's no uh, other than like the conflict drive and, and the propensity of the shards and what they are. There's no reason why they can't live in harmony. Yeah. Like, like if, if violent people get the help they need and if shark and if triggers stop only happening to violent people and if they stop getting a conflict drive after they get it power, then uh, yeah, it could, it could be good. But if those yeah. things don't get fixed, I have a hard time seeing how it could be fixed. I mean, one of the things that jumps out to me just in the way Nugget Blaster phrased this question is like, 
these things that have been extremely devastating to the entire way of human life and bring attack slaughterhouse nine gold morning abandonment of the city. These things are also equally devastating to all the, the parahumans as well as the humans. Right. right. So I think, I think the hope of peace amongst these two groups of people is the shared understanding that this terrible shit is happening to, to both of them that to stop lumping all the bad people and all the good people into just those Kate people. Um, yeah. And that's tough because there's so many damn violent, terrible Kate people. Right. Uh, the, it's, it's hard. The fun thing about the direction I feel like Ward is going is that you might be tempted to say, yeah, we shouldn't blame the Capes. We should blame the invading aliens who are attached mm-hmm. to their heads. But I think the direction Ward might be going is to say, well, they're they're in just as much trouble as the people. Let's not blame anyone. Let's just try to work together. Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't know. Work together with the shards. That's yeah, the solution. That's the solution. Bisexual Punch Party says, if the inbringers were Pokemon starters, which would you choose? Well, Matt, the wrong answer is Behemoth because he's the fire one. And the first gym in Pokemon is a rock gym. And therefore, bringing a fire Pokemon to a rock gym is stupid. So definitely not that one. Okay. And that's all I remember from Pokemon Red and Blue, the only Pokemon game I've ever played. Oh, it seems so I'm going to say the Squirtle one and pick Leviathan. Yeah, that, that seems logical. Although uh, I, I'm always the one who picks like the 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 creature that's going to be the most powerful later down the road, even if it's not at first, which is obviously the Seamurg. So Seamurg. Fine. If you want to just ruin the whole game. By picking picking the easy path, sure, Matt. Sure, it's the easy path. Yeah, fine. All right, Koala's DLP says, with the relative success and integration of Deep Impact, what podcast channel would you love to see cover Twig chapter by chapter be subsumed into the Doof Podcast Hub? I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I I I don't know. I don't know. We that's I I wouldn't even be able to think of it. Like (sighs) we didn't we didn't know the Deep Impact guys before they started doing Deep Impact, really. So I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't have anything in mind. I'm like, oh, the, Ma- the McElroy's, yeah. <laughs> the McElroy's do a twig podcast. No, I don't think so. You know, um, I found out today that Griffin McElroy loves the OC uh, oh and I'm like, God. and I'm like, hmm, uh, <laughs> what can I do here? Somebody, yeah, let's make this happen. Huh. Can I be creepy? <laughs> yes. I am going to Austin this week. Griffin, they'll just stand in the middle of Austin and yell, Griffin. Yeah, Griffin, got something for you. The OC. Do you do you like it? You, Seth Cohen. You tell us how that works out for you. I will. I will. Okay. Sir Graug says, what are your three or less uh, most favorite scenes in Ward so far? And why do you think they work so well for you? Oh, boy. Uh, uh, Kenzie's dinner. Okay. Uh, God, there's so many things, Matt, that I'm being overwhelmed by options. Um. Ashley's scene, death scenes. Yeah. Ashley's death. I find it a lot easier to pick a ch- like a chapter than a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the I like the prison brawl a lot where her hand gets flayed. Um, man, yeah, this is hard. This is great audio too, by the way. You know, I went back and read the first chapter. Uh huh. Recently, I really liked it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's shocker, but I I really like what wild Bo is doing in that chapter and he's playing a little game with not knowing who the protagonist is but it's just doing so many things it's setting up so many of the the things that the sh- the the book has really focused on and i don't know i like that i think i've said actually given that answer before right damn it damn it 
but I, I really like the first chapter. I think Ashley's death remains the most powerful moment in the story for me. Yeah, for sure. I unquestionably. Really, I, I like the um, goddess and ensnaring all of them as a as a moment. Oh, that was good. When you realize that she has all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. All right. Uh, they also they also ask if you were an ordinary citizen in the city with the expected level of knowledge they have, what do you think your opinion of parahumans and specifically parahuman heroes would be? I think I'd probably fucking hate them. Yeah, I'd probably be terrified. <laughs> like, like, like if I'm me and I have my children in the city and I'm trying to like keep them safe and that's my priority in the world, then yeah, I would be, um, I, I don't think I'd be super like keen on, because like you you say the expected level of knowledge they have like i think their level of knowledge is pretty low like mm-hmm. like they're probably like they're mainlining talk radio basically and they get like uh, victoria goes on and gives one info dump on scion and then like the the news cycle chews it up and turns it into whatever the fuck so i'm just imagining like i, I would be horribly misinformed and also terrified and that would not yeah. make that, that would not lead toward a sympathetic decision-making framework yeah i mean i think like the first thing that jumped in my head was like oh well i'll probably still love chevalier and then i was like well wait a minute how much would this version of me know about chevalier like how much how much of his amazingness would i see or would i just see it filtered through the entire experiences of living in this world and actually be like no never mind <laughs> Right. You know, right? Because I think I think a version there would be a version of me when capes like this cape stuff first started happening and the PRT first was being stood up and all this stuff was happening that would have been like really into it and probably would have really been into the triumvirate as this like beacon of awesomeness in this world. Um, and I think I think that version of me once the the betrayal of the triumvirate was revealed would take it very hard and would color my feeling on capes as a whole. And I don't, I think everything that's happened since then would only have made that opinion worse. Yeah, I like that. That's, that's some good, some good thinking there, Scott. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it, it's fun to think about because you have to go back and consider like if capes had been around since I was a kid, I really have no idea what I would think about them. Like the reason I think superheroes are fun is because they're not real. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't have to think about these things, right? Yeah, yeah. Like we have, we have weird, complicated feelings about you know, the morality of war and, and so forth. We don't have to have those feelings about superheroes unless we want to read a fun story that delves into that. True. Um, so, yeah, I don't know is my answer. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. All right. Kachortu says, how has reading Worm slash Ward and other Wildbow works influenced your experience of other stories? Do you notice characterization differently? Does the narrative efficiency of shorter books strike you differently than before? Um... I mean, yes, I read differently, like a hundred million percent. Like, I don't I don't think you can read a book like Worm at the level at which we read it and not have your methods of reading change. Um, It just happens automatically now. Like you pick up on stuff, you see patterns and you see characterization and you see what the author is doing. The more you read critically, the more you're going to be able to do that generally. Um, And so it definitely has had an effect on me. There's also the fact that most of the books I read outside of parahumans are for the book club which i'm also yeah. planning to talk about and so as i'm reading slash listening to the audiobook i am reading it with my ear towards like yeah see what he's doing there okay yeah this is yeah, uh yeah you know 
this is the, the this is going to come back later and 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 like maybe even going so far as to like somewhat map out what what I want to say about a certain aspect of the story um literally while I'm listening to it sure um yeah so the the book club probably changes the way I read more than more than the Parahumans podcast have actually cuz it's like just traditional sized books and it's traditional like it, it's about the time you would spend reading a book anyway yeah yeah i see that yeah, yeah. uh matrim storm blessed great name great name says uh now that we've seen mr hugs and the other forms of the mall cluster what forms do you think breakthrough shards would take uh in this sort of dream space i i imagine waste as like this lumpy piece <laughs> of shit that can't do anything <laughs> yeah it looks like two different like, things crammed together yeah, and it probably just makes this noise like <laughs> um it's fun to imagine capricorn's shard because i i'm still literally not sure if that's two shards or one shard yeah like is it is i don't it know a, is it just a generic matter generation shard that takes on different aspects for the two different brothers or is it two yeah i don't know I mean, them having their own distinct dream rooms seems to indicate to me that they are unique shards. So, perhaps, perhaps. But it's all fucking metaphysical craziness. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. Like you can, Kenzie's is going to have a whole bunch of like uh, mechanical eyes on on stalks and, and drones yeah. and shit like that. Um, I want to say that I'm not creative enough to come up with an answer for this yeah, question, right? Which is which makes me feel bad about myself. I but. mean, the thing is, like my off the cuff answer of like, Oh, Kenzie's going to have a bunch of eyes. That's like, that's like the, I put zero seconds of thought into it and, <laughs> and it was a camera tinker. And so of course yeah, it has it's eyes, like the but, most obvious, but like wild, yeah. would totally make it some twist, right. Where, where it's yeah. like, Oh, it's not, it's not quite what I thought, you know, I, I don't know. I don't have the creativity to literally come up with like many, many clever interpretations, but it's, and, it's a good you question. Are- you are a more creative person than I am because let me let me give a great instance of this. Uh-huh. So for last week's episode, I wrote the intro for that one and I wrote um, our, our intro idea was which what kind of shard space would we have? And mine was uh, I'd be like in a library where they people use food as bookmarks because I've been seeing that meme on the Internet. And then Matt wrote this like really trippy, like but, disturbing thing. But that was I was mostly just ripping off the intro to um neuromancer what yeah i'm so disappointed yeah, that i was creativity. really i was really impressed with you i take it all back i take it away no sorry you're i'm definitely I'm, I'm just trying to yeah. compliment you yeah well you're just stealing you're no just stealing. i'm just I, I i thought everyone would get the reference because neuromancer is a classic that everyone well, should i read. haven't read that book so how would i get it it's it's a famous first line of the book is it yeah how how famous uh i don't know <laughs> we'll have to, we'll have to ask everyone like, like best of times worst of times famous matt the, i don't think so the, the sky was the color of television tuned to a dead channel is a classic opening line of a book ah. the sky is it's the sky above the harbor was the color of television turned to a dead channel it's completely memorable beautiful first line anyway i, I think the man in black fled across the desert okay. and the gunslinger followed him okay. is much more memorable okay sir fine i i'm not gonna argue with you right now Ha, 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 ha.
I like I have no I have nothing to stand on in this argument because <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, Peter Enigma asks, you've avoided talking about it, so I'm going to ask about it. Thanks, Peter. Ward has multiple times directly drawn a contrast between Victoria and Taylor. Taylor is called the queen of escalation by the fandom. But before we knew Victoria was the protagonist, we knew she dis- de-escalated situations. Tattletale, on the other hand, points to a sl- similarity between the two and that they're both morons with a death, w- death wish. Do you think Ward is saying something when it references the differences and similarities between them? What do you think it's saying? Finally, Taylor lost herself to her passenger in the end of Worm. Do you think Victoria would make a similar sacrifice? Okay, so let's take these questions one at a time. Okay. Do you think Ward is saying something when it references the differences and similarities between Taylor and Victoria? No. What? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I, I, I mean, I think we did talk about that last last episode a, a bit. The, the idea that, or I, I mean, I guess we were talking about it in context of Tattletale, really. Sure, um, sure. But yeah, I mean, these these protagonists, they're not quite, it, it's not like Wild Bo sat down with a piece of paper and was like, all right, let me design a character who is the opposite of, of Taylor. Uh, Victoria is not the opposite of Taylor. In fact, they no. have some similarities. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they they both want to help people, right? Um, you could say that the reason Taylor became a villain was because she wanted to help people. And I think you would be right with the exception that she is really good at deluding herself and I don't know how much she ever really expected that, but whatever, that's a separate conversation. Uh, Victoria is the opposite, though, in in that while Taylor is the master at deluding herself, Victoria almost can't delude herself to save her life. Like, like she's too hyper-conscious of everything that's going on in her mind and her body and everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, Taylor, like, was blind and didn't notice. Uh, Victoria gives <laughs> us, um, you know all this detail about everything that's happening with her all the time. Uh-huh. So there's just a bunch of stuff, right? Like, and, and, and the story is absolutely saying like, well, these are, these are different people that with different ways of dealing with stuff. Um, and, and, and that's going to have ramifications in how they deal with the struggles that they're facing in the story. And, you know, I don't know if Wild Bow is, is um, lecturing, you know, I, I don't, I don't think he's, I don't think he's saying you should be more like Victoria in this way and you should be more like Taylor in this way. But I think he is definitely showing that like some some ways of being in the world are are going to reliably uh, fuck you up and maybe some are not. Um, I, I think sure. that I think that certain aspects of Victoria are meant to be positive. Um, some are not, obviously. Yeah. Well, the thing I like about both these characters generally is that some of their most positive aspects are the things that also get them in the most trouble. Um, yeah. And I think that's something they both share, but I, I do think it's just this general belief between them of trying to like, of course it, it makes sense. You want to build an active protagonist. So you want to build a protagonist that's actively working towards resolving of their central conflict. Um, so generally they are both people that stand up and do an act because you want them to be that way. Um, but I, I mean, obviously like their differences and, and I mean, like a lot of this is going to depend on where the book ends up, right? Like the differences between Taylor and Victoria, I think are going to display the differences between the endings of these two books. And I think that kind of moves to Peta's second half of this question where you know, Taylor lost herself in the, pa- in the passenger at the end of worm. Do you think Victoria would make a similar sacrifice? I, I do. Um, I do think Victoria would do that. Um, 
I don't know if that's where the book is going to go. I don't know if the book is going to lay it out and that's in that kind of very similar way. I don't think it will. Um, but given that option, I feel like Victoria would do that. Um, and that would, I think, be growth for Victoria because like she would kind of be perhaps returning to this out of control, like wretch, like hospital time person that she was so terrified of. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think I could answer it either way. Like, I, I think your answer works in the affirmative, but you could also say, no, she wouldn't because as a person, what she values is her autonomy and her, her self-control and um, the idea of sacrificing that. That's, that's like the thing that she's worked for, for so many years to protect and cherish. And, um, and she's seen, she's seen how bad things can get if she gives up on that. Right. So, you could say that it would be growth for her to realize like, Oh, you don't need to do that. But like, I don't know if that's necessarily growth. That could just be literally self-destruction the way, the way Tattletale frames it. Like it's, it's, I don't know. Cause like worm is not a tragedy until it's over. Right. Sure. It's, it's an adventure story until the last couple arcs. And then you're like, Oh, okay. It was a tragedy actually. So like you just said, we can't really answer this question fully until we know where Victoria is going to end up. Yeah, but like, I mean, let's like, let's wrath the Lich King it for a second. Like, <laughs> they they kill the Lich King and Victoria is told there always must be one. You must sit in that chair. Um, you don't think she does that? Um, If it's if it's a choice between that and like the whole city being destroyed, I, I guess she would. Um. But I feel like maybe her team wouldn't let her. Like that's one thing that the story is is you know made a big point of is is the relationships, the connections between people. Just yeah. the, the theme of connections in general, the idea that someone would try to destroy themselves and that and that others would stop them, even if them doing it is like the utilitarian choice or the the moral choice. Um, that's something that I can see happening in this story. Yeah, I mean, I I like that kind of framing because. I mean, one of the biggest differences between Victoria and Taylor, I think, are the people that that each of them surround themselves with. And Taylor, as much as she cared about her group of people and there's great, wonderful connections between them, Taylor always acted unilaterally. Right. Like she was always going to do the thing that she wanted to do. Um, I don't think Victoria does that. I think Victoria's team, her group is much more important to her. And I think I think it's interesting to see how if presented with the same choice in the same manner via these two different books, the idea that her team would be there to talk her out of it is really thematically fascinating yeah, to me. Yeah. So I like that. A I lot. feel like one of the most thematically important bits of Ward, like in retrospect, we're going to say this was a critically important piece of Ward was when Contessa gives them the A, B or C options and they refuse to choose like ta yeah, Taylor yeah. would have just fucking chose. Yeah, sure. Like, like she would have just done it no big deal what's the what's the problem everybody yeah um and and the fact that not only did taylor did did vicky not choose but nobody on her team could really be the one to choose that's that's almost that's like the most anti-taylor moment of the story in, in a way that feels pretty intentional to me yeah um, i like that and 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 i see like i feel like that is is heading somewhere like i feel like we haven't seen the the story you know draw the the final line of what it's saying with that idea that contessa gave them this choice and they threw it back at her um I, like i think contessa is going to come back in the story we're going to understand more 
what her deal is and what that was all about. Yeah, 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 I like that. Sure. Cool. Um, Son of Stannis says, uh, which character from war do you relate to the most? I I think I relate to bits and pieces of each of them. It's interestingly enough. Like, I think there's parts of Sveta I relate to. There's parts of Kenzie I relate to. Um, I relate to a lot of Victoria. I relate to Tristan a little bit and a little bit of Byron as well. I relate to the, 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 I'm really social and my siblings were not parts of Tristan. And I relate to the, the shining star that was my older sister, part of Byron. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I don't know if there's one that I really relate to like more than the other. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I can do better than that answer. Yeah. I, I've, I've like pretty much whatever character who's interlude we're in, I relate to them <laughs> perfectly. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, uh, next question. Next question. Which characters do you want to see an interlude from that hasn't had one in Ward yet? Which character hasn't had an interlude? Um, um, I mean, Amy, like for sure. Yes. There's got to be an Amy interlude. That's, yes. Uh, we got a little bit from Teacher. We got a little bit from Chris already. Um, Carol for sure Carol yeah yeah like like an update on how Carol's doing and how Carol is feeling about things Mark is someone we've never had an interlude from so I would yeah, say I, w- I mean a- I think Amy is the, is the number one choice and then I would say Mark for number two choice yeah I like that yeah uh, and then the final question from Son of Stannis which member of Breakthrough has your favorite character arc thus far Rain Rain forever and since you already picked Rain, I just I just love Tristan's for some reason. I, I don't know why. Just the idea of just doing an unequivocally horribly thing, a horrible thing, and then just like tr- trying to come to grips with having done that is is yeah. a fantastically. Yeah. I, I guess it's similar to Damsel's arc to just to Ashley's arc, but um, it it it's a different. It's a whole different cast to it, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean. That's a good, that's a good answer. I, God, I love all of them so much. <laughs> yeah. I think I really, I really can't wait to see the place that Tristan and Byron end up in. Yeah. Um, I'm really fascinated to see that. Yeah. All right. Stronger bird asks of all the power seen in parahumans with the restrictions that you're not allowed to use it to help others. Oh, <laughs> and excluding Idolans and Contessa's powers, which would you choose? So I can't help people. Uh, so what's the most selfish power that exists out there? Um, man, I don't know. See, this is, this is like asking like what, just what power you would want. I think, I think previously I've answered that I, I would want to move her power because, um, I would just want to be able to fly. Like, I, I think God, that I, would be cool. I think Alexandria is a good answer. Cause like, first of all, there's nothing in this world that could harm you. Um, like, like you'd be tempted to think of like Incorrect. a master or a thinker power, but like, Bucks. I feel like, well, that's true. Okay, fine. <laughs> But I'm not going to let anyone find that out. Um, but like, like a master or a thinker power would would give you like a lot of power in this world. But also, I, I wouldn't like the moral hazard that that would expose me to. Whereas, mm-hmm. if I had the Alexandria power set, then I would just be a superhero. It would be very simple. So. Yeah, I like that Alexandria. That's a good answer. Okay. I'm stealing it. Cool. Boom. Uh, All right. A, as a follow up yeah. question, I just lost it. Where'd it go? Which uh, case, which non yeah. which non case fifty three power would you find the most distressing to gain? Uh, nursery. Either, yeah, nursery needle chick, uh, barf bat, and chugalug. <laughs> that whole deal. Uh-huh. The one guy in worm that like like impregnates himself with his teammates. <laughs> There's a whole lot of options here. 
Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, bone, even just like bone saw's power would be yeah. would be distressing because it's like, okay, all all I can do is do hor- like horrific uh, mockeries of surgeries on people. I can't I can't just do a normal surgery. My power always yeah. makes me put secret weapons in their body. Here's a left field answer: tattletale. I yeah. think that power would be really distressing. Yeah, right. I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know what people think of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems to make her miserable. That's a great answer. That's, yeah, that's great. Yeah, like it, it, because it, because that's the most overt example of a shard talking to a person, basically. Yeah. So like, all it's doing is just it's this intrusive voice, just shitting on her day constantly. Yeah, she fucking hates you. She yeah. hates you. She thinks you're a piece of shit. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. But, butcher. Butcher's a bad power. Oh yeah, Jesus. All right. Next question. I think the ratio of terrible fucking powers to yay powers is uh, is, is, is tipped heavily in one way. Yeah. Yeah. Kieran asks, what character would you most like to see an interlude from? That we, wait, did, I, did you say that? It's a same question, different. Same uh, question. Okay, yeah. Oh, we already answered that one. Yeah. Um, if you could pick one character to, to grant a repeat interlude, who would you choose? Um, that's... Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, uh, um, I feel like Carol because we did we did actually have a Carol interlude. So yeah, I'm does that ca- I guess does that count? Like, does the the rules of the story does oh, that's a good point. count as a repeat interlude across books? I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna say it anyway. Okay, sure. Uh, I am going to say <laughs> Rain. <laughs> he's had like six, but why not? Yeah, more? we'll see how he's doing now. Yeah. Um, uh, favorite breakthrough member. And favorite breakthrough interlude, and don't make, don't make me choose. I'm gonna say don't make me choose. But if you're gonna make me choose, Rain and Kenzie's interlude. I mean, uh, uh, Eclipse was was fantastic. That's a good answer. Yeah. Fuck. I mean, they're they're all good answers, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, who who would you have had be Ward's protagonist, if not Victoria? Taylor? <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, I, whoever the protagonist is shapes what the entire story is, so it would be a completely different book. Right. But that's uh, a good point. <laughs> at least Lisa would have been interesting at protagonist. Yeah. Alex somehow. Yeah. Yeah. My boy. Yeah. Or I mean, interestingly, Gru could actually be the protagonist. That would be interesting. Yeah. Wouldn't that be weird? <laughs> yeah. And then finally, are there plans to continue the ballad of Fugly Bob? I'm just going to say no, yeah. and then if it ever happens, it'll be a fun surprise. Yeah, that's a good answer. All right. Roger Dodged Lodgers. <laughs> it's difficult to read. It says, I recently started following along, so I don't know if this has come up before, but in light of everything that's happened up to the, this point from the start, how would you interpret Mrs. Sims' confession from Shadow 5.8 in regards to Victoria and the rest of Team's breakthroughs, journey, and choices? And then uh, this question asker linked the the thing in particular the lines in particular which is good because i had totally forgotten who mrs sims was and i was like who <laughs> uh, so you want to read this map um yeah so it's the old fallen woman standing in, in her on her porch basically or mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know if she's old whatever uh <laughs> there's right and there's wrong she said you can do everything right moment by moment and still end up on the wrong side too beaten down to fight things anymore why this? Why now? I had the feeling it was more of a confession than advice. She wasn't fallen, not at heart. She just ended up here. How the hell did that happen? Maybe that in itself was the confession. I've been beaten down before, I said. 
I'll find a way to keep fighting. Humans are resilient. We made it through gold morning. It's very easy to lose sight of how beaten down you are, she said. Don't let the little things slide. We have to be vigilant. Yeah, that seems yeah, so important. I see what Roger is doing here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is, I think, I think that that quote, especially in context of what we've seen Victoria put herself through in the story, it is very easy to lose sight of how beaten down you are, is uh, absolutely true to her. That is constantly what she does. And, and I think, I think we're seeing maybe a little bit of loss of vigilance from her on, you know, this whole shard door thing. Like I keep thinking about waste and this creeping control of waste that's happening. And I don't know what it's going to mean or where it's going to go, but that vigilance has seemed to be a little bit down and it's because they're doing things that they need to do. Right. This, this, uh, this concept of the early in the quote, you can do everything right moment by moment. I think when we read this, we, we linked it back to Taylor. Um, but very, very true to Victoria and what she's putting herself through right now. Yeah. This could be one of those sentences that on a reread, you know, after we have the totality of the book in mind, feels like a hidden thesis statement. Yeah, I agree. Cool. And I'm glad Roger Dodged Lodgers reminded me of it because yeah. I had totally forgotten that this existed. That was like that was like a yes. year and a half I, ago. I, I too was like Mrs. Sims. Yes, of course. Yes. Mrs. Sims lived yes. frantically Googling. Um, <laughs> all right. All right. Next question. Next question. From Death of the Artist, mailbag question. If the We've Got Ward cast were a cluster trigger, what would your gimmick be? <laughs> it had to be something to do with like remote conversations, right? Because yeah. something podcasty. Yeah, we have to have, we, it, we, we would apportion powers through conversation and, and it could be a remote conversation. Yeah. Or, or maybe maybe there's something about our power where we can never be in the same room actually. Yeah. Um, and, but we have to talk through like a shitty program that updates all the time and barely ever works. Yeah. Crashes. Skype. Skype loses yeah. an entire episode. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Something like that. I'm going to go with that. Yeah, there we go. It has to be mediated by digital technology. There you go. Yeah. There you go. There you go. All right. SNES C asks. A big reason why I listen to the podcast is get another opinion on the story outside of my own. There have been multiple times where you provided an interpretation of the story that I hadn't considered and even changed my mind about how the events of the story should be read. However, there are some points where I've still disagreed with your version of events, which leads me to my questions. Over the years, course of the podcast, which of your opinions have received the most disagreement from your listeners? Which dissenting opinions surprised you the most? Have you ever changed your mind about something you said after hearing another opinion after the fact? Um... I mean, I think that like the, the, the view I had on Taylor is probably like the biggest dissenting opinion, right? Probably for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I think mine would be just something about free will because that's what I'm always arguing with people about. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I think my, I, I think, and, and I think that surprised me at the beginning only because to me it felt like so. I don't want to say transparent because that sounds rude, but it, it felt just so clear. That's the same. It seems the same thing. <laughs> it felt so clear to me that this is what the story was saying with Taylor. Like I, I just, I really was honestly shocked when I heard people say, no, actually like this is what I think. And that was sort of surprising to me and not in a way in which um, I'm, I'm going to say, no, you're wrong. Um, I think one of the, the greatest things that the show has done for me is kind of settle down 
when someone disagrees with with my interpretation of something and just be like, okay, well, that's cool. We have our own things and that's great. And I don't need to convince you that mine is the right way. Um, here's here's my podcast in which I outline the reasons why I think this, but I don't need to convince you of that. Like SNES here, you say that so you still disagree with us on, on our takes of some things. And I think that's fine and great. Um, but I think definitely Taylor. I mean, in this book in particular, I think the thing that's riled people up the most from me is the Byron Tristan stuff. Um, and I, and I do think that when I went back and listened to those episodes after I, I saw how upset people got at me, I do understand where they're coming from. And I do think I, in, in the desire to like intentionally try to pull out something that I thought the book was saying subtextually, I focused too much on it to the point where it made it seem like, I was saying that this person did nothing wrong and this person actually did all the bad stuff, which is not what I was trying to do. I just totally saw where that came, where that came from. Yeah, I, I suppose so. I think that that's just how it had to be though. Like my, I think my, my answer then and now was like, okay, then you try doing an episode about this. Like, and, and, and <laughs> I mean, say that. I, I, I don't even mean this in like a shitty way. I'm just saying like, you will then see that it is impossible to do what you're trying to suggest we should have done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. Like, like that's that, that, yeah. Um, that, that, that's not even a, I don't even see that as a, disagree, as a disagreement. That's more like a tone thing. Sure. And I'm like, look, like nobody can really control the tone they're conveying because tone is all in the ear of the beholder. Um, so yeah, I mean not entirely, but I, I I know what you mean. In this in this case, I think a lot of it was yeah, um, you know the what was I gonna what was I gonna say on this on this question? I don't know, um, man. I don't know. I, I think I think like I think it's interesting to me because some sometimes I get in a mood where the idea of somebody disagreeing with me is just confusing because <laughs> because I'm like. It's like if we're, it's like if you're standing next to me and we're looking at a painting in an art gallery and, and I say like, you know, I think, I think that the background is a lighter color to provide a sense of distance between the background and the foreground. And then you say, I think the background is lighter color to provide, uh, like contrast and relief to make the foreground images stand out more. And then there, there are a few things that can happen, right? I can say, no, I think, I think my take is right. Or I can say, yeah. Probably both of those things, actually. Like the artist probably knows what they're doing. They probably implemented this technique to do multiple things at the same time. And thanks for pointing that out. That's a good. That's a good take. Or I might even say, you know what? I bet you're right. And mine, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of waffling on mine now. Now that I think about it, um, but like, it just it just strikes me as like disagreeing and being like, no, the thing I said is right is the least useful and least fun possible way of engaging with with art or life in general and so yeah and so i'm just like if you disagree with my opinion on on stuff in the show i'm just like okay um i'm happy to hear your opinion like i i don't know if you have to disagree with me because I, i i hold all of my opinions so lightly in the first place that if you tell me your opinion i'm pretty likely to just be like yeah that's good point like, sure. Like, yeah. we don't have to argue about it. <laughs> it. You know, there are sub things like is free will an illusion? That's not really about Ward. <laughs> that's a philosophy thing. That's a completely uh-huh. separate thing. And sure, I enjoy sure. arguing about that because it's fun. But that's not art. That's not an art question. That's a separate question. Um, I just, I, yeah, I don't know. I felt like I had to to unload all of that because 
people often talk about the idea of like dis- disagreeing with our opinions. And I'm like, well, I, am I, I don't even feel like I'm saying my opinions. I'm, I'm giving my interpretations. Interpretations right. well, I, are not the same thing as, as, as opinions. I don't think. I agree. I, I think one of the things is there is, there is a natural kind of authority that, you know, being a voice coming out of a machine creates, like we are the ones podcasting about the, the thing. So there is like this natural, like, unearned authority feeling to that and i i'm frequently uncomfortable with that because like like we said we have no professional training in this we are guys that read a lot of stories really like diving into them and analyzing them we i mean we we admitted on this very show here that we had never done the kind of analysis we were doing on this book ever before we started doing it so i i I always like put like expertly dissect and discuss was in my mind a little tongue-in-cheek um but it didn't come off that way. So I think I think like the, the the pushback, I think, to some of our opinions is this idea that we are holding ourselves up to be the authority on the subject and then are saying something that people think is wrong. And so there's pushback to that, which I get. I get that for sure. Sure. Um, well, I, I I get that, too. And, and that's why I take opportunities like this to qualify and say, like, it it's it's an interpretation. And sure. And I yeah. and I welcome your interpretations. And yeah. I, and I've read many things in the Reddit thread where I'm like, oh, I love that. That That is now my new interpretation, too. <laughs> yeah, um, that's definitely happened with me, yeah. too. The, the, the second part of your question, have you ever changed your mind about something you said after hearing another opinion on the fact? Oh, God, so many times, so many times. Um, it, we've never, like, done a segment on that because it would just be a mess. Like, be like, actually, I talked about this last time and I want to correct that because I read this and now I agree with this but i do think when that comes up naturally in interpretations i think we have show that out but uh-huh. i think that happens all the time um, sure I, the, the last thing i'll say is like i think there's there's a contingent of people out there that kind of wish that you and i argued more um and i think the reason we don't is what you're describing right here there's this idea that like we don't always agree on everything but when we do disagree it's always just like well i don't quite this is yeah. how i see it and then you're like yeah okay and then right. we just kind of move on. Like, right. I guess we could like push each other on that. Yeah. But I just don't see the, po- I don't think that makes good audio either. I don't think that would no. be interesting to listen to. I think the closest we would get in that scenario is, is maybe, maybe, you know, I would say, I don't know about that. And then you would say like, well, well, are, are, you know, did, did you remember this aspect that, that supports my thesis? And sure. then, and then I would either say, oh yeah, that makes sense. Or I, or, or I would just be like, I, I just think that adds up in a different way. And then, yeah, yeah like it, mm-hmm. it, it, there's no need to reach a consensus about this stuff. Like it's, yeah. it's so it's art, right? Like it's it, like, that's the fun of talking about it is, is it's, it's, it's a dynamic process. You're figuring out what you think about it as you think about it. Yeah. Like I don't know, I don't know what my opinions are. <laughs> and it is constantly evolving. Yeah. Constantly. I got, I listened to some overall episodes of worm and, and noticed that my opinion on this particular thing has, has shifted and changed and it's not diametrically opposed to the way I interpret it the first time, but it's definitely altered. Um, cause that's just what happens. Yeah. 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 All right. Good, good question. I like that yeah, one. It was great. Give us the Thank opportunity you. to kind of hash out some things. Uh, Blarry345 says, Wildbo has played with the tropes of superhero comics and stories before. The evil clones in the Echidna arc is the first one I can think of. What common superhero trope that hasn't appeared in Worm slash Ward would you like to see Wildbo's take on and why? So I have an answer to this, and I it might kind of be cheating. 
because the thing that I don't think these books have ever really explored is really the concept of secret identities, um, not in any kind of detail, because I think with Taylor, there was never any like real juggling of the two different lives because she just kind of dove headlong into one of them and left the other behind. Um, and Victoria is a character who doesn't have that at all just by, you know, she was exposed like she's been open as Victoria Dallin, the superhero from the beginning. So we've never seen Wild Bo's version of like, what does it look like to be a person juggling um, two different lives at the same time? Like that's a, that's something that I think superhero stories do all the time, right? This juggling between secret identity and um, and superhero identity. And I don't know if these books have ever really explored that. And I think it would be interesting to see Wild Bo's lens on that general idea. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if I have a better answer than that, honestly. I, I, I think he definitely gets like like the first one I can think of is like the space aspect. Like all all of the major comic brands have like a space cosmic. They end up going into space at some point. Um, yeah, that's, or, or, yeah, that's true. Which you could say, well, there's aliens attacking Earth in this in this story, but it's not it's not the same. And then you could say, well, that's his take on it. It is it isn't the same because of <laughs> right. course it's not. But uh, yeah, I, I like your answer though, the secret identity one. That's a good answer. Mm-hmm. Cool. Beard of Valor says, uh, "There it is, another Shardrian. What is that? I don't know. The facets around here deal with subverted expectations. Feeling safe 27 miles from goddess and being aligned anyway. Annalise's advice after foresight dumped her. Carol admitting Amy wasn't well. Matt, as you gaze into moments that were supposed to go a different way, what do you see next to Tex bringing the Vegas team into the Protectorate headquarters? How was that supposed to go? So this is a Weaver Dice question, Matt. What was your original plan for what went down in that Weaver Dice episode and how did we fuck that up royally? Well, the... Okay, I'm not sure what the question. So, so they weren't supposed to go to the H. They were never supposed to go turn themselves in. <laughs> that was just a completely wild ass decision. Um, so, so there was supposed to be. Okay, you know what? I, I, I think I can reveal all this now. Sure. Yeah, just sure. do it. Sure, fuck it. Um, they were supposed to um, realize that Snake Eyes was a terrible leader and. Poke was actually going to be a lot more sympathetic and the, the other members of um, uh, the um, Jesus Christ, I've forgotten the names of my own, of my own characters because it's been so long. The um, let's see the, the characters at the Jackdaw Sphinx, that gang, mm-hmm. the other gang, they were going to all be sympathetic and likable. All of the characters in the high rollers were giant assholes and you guys were supposed to be like seduced into wanting to be on the other team and realizing that you needed to betray your original team. And then you were going to just be on that team and bring down the high rollers. And there were all these NPCs on the other team who you're going to be friends with. (laughs) And and it was all it was all set up for you that there was whole there was a whole thing, the whole thing set up. And instead of doing any of that, you just brutally murdered them like Walter White. Um, and then, uh, went to the protectorate, man, we're cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hey Matt, um, do we want to give a Weaver dice mini update since we're on the subject? Um, sure. I'm, I'm, I don't know how much there. So we, we released a new episode this month, but I don't, I don't want people to get too excited because that was just an episode we recorded a long, long, long time ago that we just never had gotten over the hump 
and and gotten it released. So Matt finally got that done and it's amazing. Um, we're not done with that world, right? Like no. we, we, we want to go back to it. It's just a matter of, we had a lot of scheduling issues. There's four of us. It's hard to get four people together to schedule. It's a, it's a ton of work on Matt's behalf. Like he, he puts a ton of work into those things, guys. Um, the little, uh, little previously ons at the beginning of the episode, those take like two hours to, to pull the clips yeah. and to cut them all together. It's a lot of work. It doesn't so, seem like it would be, but like that, that, that was why I didn't include it on that last episode is I'm like, yeah. look, I, I want to do this in a sustainable way. I want to get back in the habit of doing them. I don't, I don't know how often, um, but I really yeah. enjoyed doing them. Um, I just want to do it in a way where I don't burn out. And that, uh, frankly, yeah. frankly, I've never said it out loud that way, but that, that's what happened is I burned out. I burned out mm-hmm. doing that. It was, yeah. it was too much time commitment. It was hell, hella fun. I really enjoyed the positive feedback I got from it, but uh, it was, it was too much work. Um, and and so if I'm going to do it again, I'm going to do it in a way that's sustainable. Yeah. Um, so and, we are yeah. we are working on that. We are working on making it a sustainable thing. We don't want to bring it back. I mean, the thing the thing is, like, we don't want to bring it back and then have it be another two, three months, like four, five, six months between <laughs> episodes again. Right. Yeah, yeah. So when when we bring it back, the goal is to bring it back in this new sustainable format where we can update it regularly, whatever regularly means. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm working on the next episode already. So yeah, yeah, we're doing. It's going to be season two. We were dice season two. Same characters, new season. Yep. All right. Final question. And I think this is thematically fitting for a final question for the Doof Media. From Piggleston, Ward is pretty heavy throughout most of the story, but there are lots of tidbits or happiness in good times. Do you have a favorite positive scene? Matt, what do you think? Um. Um, I mean, the, <laughs> it's tough. well, the, that's just the, like all the things I'm thinking of are actually horribly sad scenes where a character does the right thing, which is not a, which is not, I think what the person means. Like, like there's a lot of good stuff where, um, like Sveta and Victoria are supporting each other, like very, very, um, uh, I, like the stuff where, where they all go shopping together. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say some of my favorite scenes in the parahumans universe involve going shopping because everyone's just enjoying each other's company in a, in a capeless context. Nobody's wearing their capes that they always wear. And, uh, and it's great. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good answer. I think you're right. Like the, the moments of happiness that are jumping out at me are moments that are actually tragic, but there's like good stuff on top of that tragedy. Like, I mean, just last week, the, the Candy's speech to everyone that she loved around her is a moment where everyone is about to die. <laughs> and yet here is Candy giving this beautiful monologue about why she loves all the people that she lives her life with. And that makes me happy. Yeah. Um, it's positive in spite of the negative. And I think that's where these books really shine. Like these are very heavy. They are very depressing. Dark stuff happens constantly, but out of that darkness is is light is happiness is hope um in in some form or fashion um it's not always perfect it's not always like entirely positive it's you can't always go forward with it with just yes wonderful but it is there and you do have to find it um and that's kind of to me that's a reflection of life that life is often very difficult it's very hard it's very easy to get caught up in all the worst parts of our day and our lives and the struggles we go through but there are moments of pure happiness and pure joy amongst all the shit and we got to focus on those 
What a poignant way of ending this episode, Scott. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. Maybe no more questions for a while. That was a lot of questions. Yeah, just maybe just advice and yeah. thoughts. Maybe, yeah. maybe just thoughts. Yeah, just thoughts. <laughs> you can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over our, at our Twitter account at gotwormpod. Next week, we will be doing a, like four episodes, and I don't know if I'm going to be have time to do my live reads of those those chapters because that's a lot. It's a lot to do in a live read. But uh, if you want to see all the live reads I do of most of the chapters, you can follow us at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85, and Matt's is at machine. That's right. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. As always, you can find all the other shows over we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. Doofcast will be off this week, but Do the Right Thing is in their new time, Mon- uh, Monday, right? Monday? Yes, Monday. <laughs> do the Right Thing will be coming out Monday, so that's two days ago for you wacky in the future people. Uh media md was new last week uh deep impact continues to come out every day that a wild bow chapter came out somehow inexplicably i don't know how they're keeping up with that schedule they but never get sick it's amazing <laughs> um check out all those shows you can go to doofmedia.com click on that podcast buttons at the top and you'll see all the shows we do uh current and former uh check them all out yeah, and, and unless uh, there was some scheduling snafu, I was on the episode of Do the Right Thing that was released this week. What? You didn't tell me that? Well, That's I mean, cool. I mean, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> you didn't... You you told me that. Cool. And now I'm going to record it. Anyway, th- <laughs> this is the future. Or wait, I'm confused. Anyway, oh my God. Uh, yeah, if you like any of those shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our fan art contest, like the one that's about to wrap up. Uh, costume contest, which uh, really is going to start getting into the swing since it's almost October. Yeah, we're going to launch that probably the first ep- the next episode when we're back because so. it'll be October. Yep. Uh, hangout sessions with us. There's one of those this uh, last, dang, last. last Friday. <laughs> So it was great. It was great. It was a great hangout. Oh, uh, yeah. I watched it all. Yeah. You guys did a great job. If, if you, you if you had been a $5 patron, then you could have watched the one that we did. God, um, we're so good at, at salesmanship. Oh, my God. Why aren't we salesmen? I know. Uh, access to live streams of our recording sessions. Not like this one because we didn't do this one live. Um, whoops. And our excellent Discord chat. <laughs> <laughs> and as oh, always, head over to Wildbo's Patreon at patreon.com slash Wildbo. Donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it. You know what, guys? Here in the past, we still need six more patrons to get to our magic number to be able to do our Dark Tower podcast. You know, it would be a wonderful gift for me when I come back in the future. Wonderful gift for me would be all six of those splots taken. Yeah. So by October 1st, guys, six people, six dollars, six dollars. Well, six, six people giving one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. We really would appreciate it. Like, we're so close to that goal. I'm so, so excited about it. I know I keep mentioning this at the end of every show. Sorry about that. I'm going to keep doing it. Um, if you want me to stop mentioning this, <laughs> you can donate a dollar a month to our Patreon account. Yeah. Um, but it, it would be just a wonderful... My birthday's coming up uh, in two days from the time you're hearing this. What a wonderful birthday gift that would be. Yeah. 
come on, everybody, let's let's make the magic happen for Scott. I'm really laying it. On, I'm really laying it on thick that's, here. That's good, Scott. Yeah. Let's. Uh, of course, if you cannot afford to donate, we do. After after everything I just said, they're trying to guilt you into something. It is absolutely okay if you cannot afford to donate. We 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 think there's tons of ways you can help us out. I mean, just listening helps us out, but you can also share the podcast with your friends. Share our other shows with your friends. Um, if you think people don't read Worm and so you can't share them that podcast because they wouldn't get it, try the Doofcast. Try Do the Right Thing. Or do you have friends that are writers? Share that show with them. Um, do you have friends that just like hearing the voices of Australian people because who doesn't share media MD with them. Yeah, that is um, a major pull. Yeah. Uh, you can really help us out that way uh, and we really appreciate it. Or, or you can just go over to Apple podcasts and leave a rating and a review five stars, one, two, three, four, five. And then you can say whatever you want and we will read that out loud on the podcast. Yeah. Wow. And uh, yeah, so please do that. And that's all we have for you this week. Um, and we will be back. Time is too confusing at this point. So we'll be back in a week from now. Now being not the time we're recording this, but the time you are listening to With it. With a four chapter episode. Yeah, at least. What if there's a bonus chapter, yeah, Matt? Right, right. Uh, yeah. So will we, we be out of from within? I don't know. You probably do, though. Uh, will Victoria burn herself even no, more? You, you read probably. This, you read this last week already. They're all going to know. I did the thing where I didn't replace the ending again, Will Kinsey doom us all? (laughs) Find out next time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay. That's good. Yeah.